0: Hi guys, how are you today? I hope you're having a wonderful day. My name is Bailey Sarian and welcome to another episode of Murder, Mystery, and Makeup. Was that a good intro? Probably not. If you're new here, every Monday we sit down or I sit down and talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin. And I just kinda like tell you what happened, what was going on. And then just to keep me busy, I do makeup. If you like true crime and you like makeup, we've married the two and now we're here. Welcome. And other than that, I will stop rambling and let's get into it. Edmund Kember III, he was a serial killer and he also was a necrophile and he would become known as the Coed ed killer. So Edmund was born December 18th, 1948 in Burbank, California and Edmund, he had an older sister and a younger sister. So he was the middle child. I'm a middle child as well. So no, we don't always turn into serial killers. It's okay if you're a middle child. So Edmund's father, his name is Edmund Kemper II. uh, He was a World War II veteran. So he would describe his marriage to his wife, Clarnell, who is Edmund's mother. Well, I'm being confused. Anyways, so Edmund's father and mother, they would describe their marriage as loveless and damaging. The father, he would describe his marriage to his wife as, well, this is a quote he said. He said, quote, suicide missions in wartime and the later atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. So based off what I've read about Clarnell, the mother, she was not a nice lady. And if there's anything we've learned here on these Monday episodes is that when mama ain't nice, it doesn't end well for the child, right? Like we can we can gather that based off what we've discussed here. It's not always the case, but for some people it doesn't end well. And yeah, so Clarnell, she was just, um, she was very verbally abusive. Um, towards her husband, she would make him feel like crap about his job. I mean, nothing was ever good enough for her. So she would do a lot of belittling. She would attack, not physically, it was more emotionally and verbally. When she had Edmund, her son, she would refuse to coddle her son um, in fear that she would turn him, quote, turn him gay, end quote. We'll call him Ed but this is not the same Ed as last week, okay? This is a new Ed. So Ed began to display dark fantasies relating to sexuality and death. It was said that he would decapitate his sister's dolls. And in second grade, he ended up stalking his second grade teacher outside her house. I was trying to look a little bit more into this, like what they meant by stalking, but I guess he would just like follow her home. And in second grade, I mean, you were so young. So, so when he was stalking his second grade teacher outside her house, he'd be carrying his father's bayonet, which is like a knife from the war, I think. Could be wrong on that, but it's a knife. In second grade, 1957, Edmund II, the father, he left the family. Now the kids were pretty much stuck with their mother. Ed would describe his relationship with his mother very difficult. She was an alcoholic. She was emotionally and physically abusive towards just Ed, like not the other children. Maybe because Ed reminded her of her ex-husband. That's just my thought. Ed's mom said that she feared him because at the age of 15, he was already six foot four. At 15, the boy was big. So she ended up making Ed sleep in a locked basement for fear that he would harm his sisters. In an interview I was watching with Ed, he said it it definitely made him feel really bad because everybody else got to go upstairs and go to bed while his mom forced him to go down into this dark basement and sleep there. So Ed would say that his mom on the reg would insult him, abuse him, constantly telling him that he's never gonna be anything in life. He, she put an emphasis on like, that no woman would ever love him. So Edmund grew up to hate his mother. And at the age of 14, he ran away from home and he went to go search for his father to go live with him. And his father was living in Van Nuys, California. Ed would stay with his dad for a little bit, but his father ended up having to remove Ed from the house because of the stress that Ed was causing onto his new wife. She said that she had been suffering from migraines due to all the stress from Ed, but when I dug a little bit deeper, I couldn't exactly figure out what the stress was. Everybody has opinions as to what it was, but I don't know, and I don't wanna give wrong information. Anywho, so then Edmund's father was like, okay, go stay with your paternal grandmother and grandfather in North Fork, California. So Ed moves in with his grandma and grandpa, and then Ed claims that his grandmother was very similar to his own mother. She also just like Ed's mom was very abusive, verbally abusive. I don't know if there was physical abuse going on, but still verbally, emotionally abusive. And Ed would say that he disliked his grandmother a ton. Okay, I forgot to mention something. When Ed was living with his his mom and his sisters and stuff, I mean, I said that he would, he would decapitate. Is that the word? He would cut off the heads of his sister's dolls, but he also would ask his sisters to play a game he called gas chamber. And in this game, he would blindfold his sisters and then tie them to a chair um, with like some kind of cord. And then he would pretend to be in agony until they died. The game doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't sound fun, but that was a game that he played. He also said they had like a, a big rug or something in in the room so they would take turns like wrapping each other up in the rug. And then you would have to try and get out with no help. He just liked to see them struggle, which, okay. And then at the age of eight or nine, Ed would describe going to a magic show and it was at like a comic book store. This mag- this magician was there and he was doing a trick. And you know those things, I'm drawing a blank on the name. It's what they used in the olden days to chop people's heads, you know, the holes. Anyways, he went to go see a magician. The magician took a volunteer from the audience to chop their head off. And Ed describes being there. And he was like, oh, what? kind of getting excited. Like he's gonna chop some, someone's head off. I, I have to, I have to watch. I mean, he's eight or nine. You're gonna be intrigued a little bit. So then the um, this girl that was pulled from the audience, she comes up on stage to get her head chopped off. Awesome. Ed would say, that the girl was just so beautiful. She was smiling and laughing and she put her head into the chopper and the magician pulled the string, the blade came down. And because it's a magic trick and it's not real, the blade like doesn't chop your head off, it stops. And the girl survived. But Ed would say that this kind of, like this introduced him to control of like chopping off a pretty girl's head but in an interview that I watched of Ed in prison, he, you can tell by the way he's describing it, it played like a big part in his childhood. He just remembered it with such great detail and he just seemed to be getting excited over it. And that's kind of where it like it was introduced. You know what I'm saying? He was like, what? You could chop a head off. It was said at 10 years old, Ed, he had taken the house cat and he ended up burying the house cat alive in the family backyard. And then at 13 years old, he used a a knife and he killed a cat. He buried it also in the backyard and his mom found it. And there's one thing that's constant when it comes to serial killers or people who end up killing, they always tend to kill animals at a very young age. Like it's a big red flag, okay? Ed did have that pattern as well. Flash forward to Ed now living on the farm with his grandparents and Ed's grandfather gave him a .22 caliber rifle to shoot and kill rabbits and gophers. This did worry like his grandmother because he would see like some kind of rage happening with Ed, he would be shooting and killing birds, trying to like shoot other animals. So his grandmother would um like hide their their handgun that they had in the house. She would hide that because she was afraid that Ed was going to take it when she wasn't looking or something. So his grandmother did have feelings of like let's let's not do that. Let's not let's take the gun away, but the grandfather said it's fine. Let him shoot these animals that are coming up and like ruining our farm. give him something to do so then august 27th 1964 comes around ed has this rage that's been building inside of him for years he was now 15 years old at this time and he was with his grandmother in the kitchen and they got into some kind of argument no idea what the argument was about but they had gotten into an argument i guess his grandmother was sitting at the kitchen table ed goes and he grabs the handgun, he comes into the kitchen, he gets behind his grandmother who's sitting at the table and he shoots her in the head three times. Now at this time, his grandfather was out at the grocery store, like running errands or something, but his grandfather wasn't home. So his grandfather pulled up, he was coming home, he was in the driveway and Ed thought to himself, I should probably kill my grandfather. So before his grandfather could even get into the house, okay, he was still out in the driveway. Ed comes out with the gun and he shoots his grandfather in in the head as well. And later Ed would say that he did it because um, he wanted to protect his grandfather from seeing his wife dead and then possibly having a heart attack. So after he kills them, he then Ed, he calls his mother, calls up his mother on the phone and he's like, what do I do? You just shot two people, your grandparents. What do you mean, what do you do? And his mom said, you need to call the police. And if you don't call the police, I'm gonna call the police. So Ed, he ends up calling the police, okay? He does turn himself in. And then police take him into the station and they ask him like, why did you shoot your grandparents? And Ed said, quote, to see what it felt like. So I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, like he needs to be locked up for some time. So then Ed was handed over to the California Youth Authority. So there he, he met with different psychiatrists to see, um if he had a mental illness, like what was going on. And they also gave him an IQ test. That is the first time that he learned, Ed had learned of his high score. He took this IQ test and he scored a 136, which is a genius level. And then later on down the road, he took the test again and scored a 140, which is like super genius. Oh, he's just a genius, okay? Now they probably shouldn't have done this because it did boost Ed's ego, he's like, I'm a fucking genius. So psychiatrist did some testing, like I had mentioned to see if he suffered from any mental illness and Ed was diagnosed as paranoid and psychotic by a court appointed psychiatrist. Ed was sent to a maximum security facility for the mentally ill convicts not just any mentally ill, for mentally ill convicts. And then in 1969, he was released and he was only there for five years, which had me so confused. He killed two people. He killed his grandmother and grandfather. And his reasoning for killing is because he just, he wanted to know how it felt. And then after five years, they let him go because he was doing really well. And his juvenile criminal record was expunged, which means like it was, pretty much erased from his record. Like he had never done it. So when he got out, he was now 21. Doctors had told him it'd be best if he did not move in with his mother or live with his mother again because of her past abuse. But I feel like he also didn't have anywhere else to go. So he ended up moving back in with his mother in Santa Cruz, California, and she had moved there because she took a job at the University of California. He still had to check in with probation psychologists. Within those five years of being in prison, he knew exactly what to say to them. Does that make sense? Like he just knew how to work it. So Ed was considered low risk. Like when he would check in, he seemed fine. Everything seemed to be going really well, seemed quote unquote normal, whatever the, you know, Yeah, he seemed fine. So he was considered low risk. Since we're here talking about him, we know now that he was far from fine. Ed began living in places across Northern California And then periodically he would return to his mother's house when he had run out of money and he like had nowhere to stay. And he also attended community college for a short time and he worked a variety of jobs. And eventually he got employment with the department of transportation in 1971. Now, Ed really wanted to become a police officer or a state trooper. Ed was rejected because he reached the maximum height requirement, which I didn't even know that they had a maximum height requirement to become a police officer. Like I would think they would want big buff dudes because I don't know, like wouldn't, that's what I thought. He had weighed 300 pounds and he was six foot nine. That's a big boy. He became friends with a lot of the guys who were state troopers and they gave him a nickname of Big Ed and he would kind of hang around the, the Santa Cruz police officers and he would hang around like the bar that all the guys would hang out at. He just really, wanted to become a police officer. So that was like kind of crushing to him because that was his goal. Ed ended up buying a motorcycle because he couldn't be a cop, but he wanted to like act like one. So he bought a, a motorcycle and thank God he didn't become a police officer. So while Ed was out riding his motorcycle, he ended up getting hit by a car and his arm was badly injured. Now some reports say that it was his head that was injured, but others said it was his arm. So it was either his head or his arm. Maybe it was both but it was injured. He ended up receiving a settlement of $15,000 from the other driver because they were at fault. And then with the settlement money, he ended up purchasing a new car, which resembled an unmarked police patrol car. So Ed was feeling some type of way. He couldn't become a police officer because he was too tall. Now he couldn't even ride his motorcycle because he got hit by a car. He couldn't even work at the time because his He was badly injured. So like, what do you do now? A normal person would find something else to do hopefully but Ed decided to just go down a completely different path. Ed had noticed a large number of women hitchhiking in the area. He would start picking up hitchhikers and would refine his technique of how he picked up these hitchhikers and got to the point where he could easily pick up hitchhikers and seem trustworthy and approachable and comfortable. So he would pick up lady hitchhikers and then he would let them go. He offered a ride to two Fresno State students, Mary Ann and then another girl named Anita. And they were both hitchhiking, just trying to get home, I believe, from school. Unfortunately, they did not make it to their destination. So the families of Mary Ann and Anita, they had Reported them missing. And then on August 15th, out in the wood, like a wooded area in Santa Cruz, a woman's head was found. And it was later determined that it was Mary Ann's head. Anita, unfortunately, was her remains, was never found. Later on down the road, he would explained that he stabbed and killed Anita and he tried to strangle Mary, but that didn't work. So he ended up stabbing her and cutting her throat. He then brought the bodies back to his apartment and removed their heads and their hands. Ed also said that he engaged in sexual activity with their corpses. Later that year, September 14th, 1972, Ed picked up 15 year old Aiko. She caught on to his scheme and tried to escape. So she was hitchhiking as well. Ed, he had taped her mouth shut and tried to suffocate her by putting his fingers in her nostrils. So she will suffocate. Ed realizes that this isn't working. So then he ended up taking a scarf that she was wearing, strangled her sadly and then he raped her. She was 15, like, come on, dick. I hate this guy, he's disgusting. So then he places her body into the trunk of the car and and then he decides, I wanna go get an adult beverage at the bar. So he goes to the bar that he normally always goes to with a bunch of police officers. Like that's where they all hang out. He goes there and he grabs a drink with them. Like who does that? Ed does, apparently. He then brings her body back to his house and he starts to just, I don't know if dissect, dissect. I don't know if dissect is the correct word, dismember. He takes off her limbs, okay? He had this obsession decapitating the, his victim. So he would chop their heads off and then he would drop his the heads somewhere. Also take off their hands. Oh my gosh, like the magician. Duh, God. Okay, I was sitting here forever trying to figure out why he just took off the head. That's why he put a big emphasis on that magician thing. Oh. He takes her head off and then he drove around with her head and hands in the car for the day in a bag. And then he went to a court appointed meeting. And after his meeting, he then um, disposed the hands and the head in separate locations. January 1973, Ed continued to act on his murderous impulses. And he picked up another hitchhiker named Cindy. Cindy, he, he shot and killed. And then while Ed's mother was out of the house, Ed took Cindy's body to the house and he hid Cindy's body in his room. And just like his other victims, he dismembered her body. The following day, he took bits and pieces of the of her body and he threw them into the ocean. He took her head and he buried it in his mother's backyard and he left it facing upwards towards his mother's bedroom. And according to him, he did that because his mother quote, always wanted people to look up to her. And then February 5th, 1973, Ed and his mother got into a fight, was filled with rage and he was just ready to kill. So he gets in his car and he uses his mom's campus parking sticker. You know, like at community college or college in general, you normally have like a parking pass so you can get onto the campus or whatever. So he takes that and then Ed stated that the next good looking girl he saw would die. So he sees two students, Rosalind and Alice are their names. He sees them. They're both good looking. He said he was like attracted to them. And then shortly after picking them up, he didn't stop the car. So normally he would like pull over and kill who was ever in the car with them. But he said this time he didn't stop the car. He was just driving and he turns to Alice in the back seat and he just shoots her several times. And then he shot Rosalind point blank. Then he pulls over into a cul-de-sac and he, I guess it's just like a quiet cul-de-sac. There weren't many street lights or anything. And then he, takes the bodies and he places them into the trunk of his car. Once again, decapitated both of the girls and then he dismembers their bodies. He also removed the bullets from their head and then he disposed of their body parts in different locations. In March, there were some people out hiking on highway one in San Mateo County. And then um, these hikers came across heads, called the police. Now, at the time of Ed's murders, two other serial killers, John Frazier and Herbert Mullins, they were also perpetrating their own crimes in the area, which then resulted in Santa Cruz receiving the nickname, the murder capital of the world in the press. Um, So there was just like a lot of murders happening in that area and that time. For Ed, he was dubbed the co-ed killer and the co-ed butcher by the press. So then April, 1973, Ed would commit what would be his last two murders. Edmund is a dick. So on Good Friday, Ed went to his mother's home. He says that he had like a very unpleasant exchange. They got into a fight. Did his mom know, you think? Then his mother decided to go to sleep. And I guess Ed just couldn't take it anymore. It's been building up for years, for years and he's been dreaming of the opportunity to kill his mother. While she was asleep, he beat his mother to death with a claw hammer. He then dismembered her body, just like his other victims. He removed his mother's head. I mean, okay, look, 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 side note. This whole story is absolutely disgusting. What he did to his mother is, <sighs> he removed his mother's head and then he raped her severed head, meaning he forced his mother's head to have oral sex with him. And this is like what he says. This is what he says, okay. Had oral sex with his uh, his mom's head. Uh. He then takes her head. He places it onto the fireplace mantle and he used her head as a dartboard. Something I thought I'd never say in my lifetime, but he did that, okay? He cuts out her his mother's um, tongue and her larynx, aka the voice box. He cuts that out, and then he places them into the garbage disposal. Ed would describe that the gar- the garbage disposal, it actually didn't... He's so stupid. He says that as he was trying to get rid of these two things, the garbage disposal kept spitting it back up like it wasn't taking it he was like i have a great idea i'm gonna call up my friend my mom's friend sally and he invites her over for dinner so he's waiting for sally to come over once she comes over and she enters the house shortly after she arrived he strangled her and once she died hid her body in a closet and then he ended up having sex with her body later that night So then Ed fled the area the next day in Sally's car. He went to like a -a rent-a-car place and then he switched out the cars. So he first took Sally's Sally's car, um, used that, drove, for quite some time, stopped at like a rent a car place and got another car. He then drove 18 hours stopping only for gas and soda. That's what he said, gas and soda. He drove East all the way until he got to Colorado. And then on April 23rd, he made a call to Santa Cruz police to confess his crimes. So at first they didn't believe him because They knew him as Big Ed. Remember I said like they hung out at the bar and stuff and he became friends with all of them. So now Ed was calling them and saying, I'm the one that like killed all these people. They just, they couldn't believe him. But he did confess and he turned himself into the police who then handed them over, handed him over to Santa Cruz police department. And then during interrogation, he led police officers and investigators to all the evidence they needed to prove that he was in fact, the co-ed killer. The police department was completely shocked that this guy was literally right in front of them this whole time. So Ed was taken into custody and confessed to all eight murders in great detail. He took the investigators to various disposal sites where they thought the investigation would never end. He was arrested in April of 1973 at the age of 24 years old. And at the age of 24, he had murdered six women students, his own mother and her best friend. Ed was charged with eight counts of first degree murder. He went on trial for his crimes in October of 1973. He was found guilty of all of the charges in early November, 1973, eight concurrent life sentences. So he's never getting out. So currently, Ed is serving his time at California Medical Facility here in California. Ed was asked by a Cosmopolitan magazine reporter during a prison interview, how he felt when he saw a pretty girl after killing his mother. And he said, quote, one side of me says, I'd like to talk to her, date her. The other side says, I wonder how her head would look on a stick. So that's good. Ed was up for parole on July 25th of 2017 and the California Parole Board quietly denied him parole. During his last parole hearing, he actually tried to take back his confession that he gave to the police because he said that he was immature. Um, At the time he was young and he thought by pleading guilty, he said he thought it was helping build a case supporting his psychiatric plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Some reports say that he was a cannibal, that he ate some of his victims, but there's actually no proof that he did so and ed had claimed that he did it but he also says that he was lying i didn't read anything about him being a cannibal but that doesn't mean it's not true i guess we don't really know if it's true or not only ed knows it's true um, because different sources say different things so it's really hard to know what's true and what's not true i'm not gonna say he is because i don't i don't I don't know. So currently he's still in prison. For a while he was teaching computer science inside the facility to other inmates. Also he says he routinely answers his fan mail at the prison. Like I mentioned in my last video, get better idols, be better. Could you imagine if this guy who was a quote unquote genius, genius IQ, do you know like the things he could have done for this world and actually helped it become a better place, but instead he chose to be a, a piece of shit. You know, like that sucks. <laughs> be better. Be, fucking be better. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from this is please don't hitchhike. Don't get in a car with strangers. Oh, Uber. I don't think people really hitchhike much anymore, but I, I don't know what you guys do out there. Just don't hitchhike, okay? Anyways, I hope you have a wonderful day today. Make good choices, please. Be safe. I appreciate you guys so much for hanging out with me. I'll be seeing you guys later. Bye!